what does it exactly mean to walk in purpose? I know it has become a thing in our culture to know your purpose or to do your thing. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, what does it actually mean to walk in purpose? Well, that's what I want to discover with you. I'm Jody Cell Grove, and I am excited to walk with you, to discover together what it means to walk in God's presence and live a life of abundance in our everyday lives. We'll do this through sharing testimonies, digging into God's word, and walking out Matthew 17, 20, where Jesus said, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. I'm so honored you've taken the time to walk with me this week. Welcome to She Walks in Purpose. Welcome back to She Walks in Purpose. I'm your host, Jody Sell Grove. We are now walking into episode eight of season three. And it's been a very interesting season as I've shared in probably every single one of my episodes. I just love how God works. This entire season has been focused on God's presence. And we started in episode one um, in Psalm 91 where we were learning a little bit about what it meant. And what I mean by that is his presence um, as a refuge, as a fortress, as a shelter. And then God started um, revealing himself to me in all the different ways that we actually hinder his presence. And we started diving into um, the importance of our eyes, the importance of our ears, the importance of our mouths, And then he pulled it all together um, with the connection to our heart and our soul and how these, this aspect of who we are, our our very inner being is so very, very important to our connection to God himself. And now we are at episode eight and I have the absolute privilege and honor to have a guest with me who is going to be sharing her revelation of God himself in what his presence is. And she's going to be sharing some biblical aspects, tying that in along with possibly her own experience, her own um, story, along with some possible other stories. We'll just see how God leads us. Um, So with that said, I'm going to introduce my mom. Audrey Chambers. So if you could share a little bit about yourself. I am a mom of three grown children and um, wife of a wonderful husband, Guy. And I've been a believer for 40 years this year in November. And um, that is my whole reason for living is Jesus, not just my salvation, but the person of Jesus. And so I have the distinct privilege and pleasure of getting to know him better and better every single day. And that includes my cleaning of house. That includes my talking on the phone, my study time, my prayer time, each of those avenues he uses to reveal himself to me. I'm going to be um, sharing a little bit on finding and walking in the presence of God through obscurity. And that may seem a little odd to most people because obscurity really means a state of being unknown 
or in some people's opinions, unimportant. That may be true when you look at obscurity, that is what it's like in man's eyes to be unknown, to be unimportant. But in God's eyes, obscurity is a special place to reside with him in his presence. It's a place where you and Jesus and Holy Spirit and Father God get to communicate together where you learn new things about him. And the word presence means face or his face turned toward you. And so when we're in obscurity, his face is turned toward us because we have turned away from every other face in our life. We've turned away from the busyness of our life, from the, from the tragedies, from the high points. We've turned away from everything and turned to face him because he turned and faced us. And so in around 2007, um, my marriage was kind of falling apart and we moved closer to Jody and her husband and kids. Um, I thought in my mind that that was going to be a place where there'd be some healing and renewing of our, um, our marriage. And actually it really was the opposite. It really brought it to its knees. It really brought our marriage to its knees, which is exactly where God wanted me. He wanted me on my knees. He wanted me obscure. He wanted me to not look to the marriage, but to look to his face. So I remember one time I was in the shower and I've told this testimony several times to people, but I was in the shower and I was crying and asking God, can't you do something about this? Can't you, can't you fix this? Can't you deliver this? Can't you do something about this? And there was silence. It was just silence. And I thought, you're not even listening to me. That's really how I felt. And then um, in the middle of it all, it was just like God was saying, what are you looking at? Are you looking at the marriage to be saved? Or are you looking at me, the savior? And I, and I kind of thought on that for a little bit. And I fell to my knees in the shower. And I said, you know, if you're the only one I have left, that's all I need. And he said, finally, Finally, I got to the point where I was on my knees and realized the only one I really need is Jesus. The other things in my life are blessings from being with Jesus, from being a follower, from just relationship wise. If I'm not with Jesus, they're not going to succeed. They're not going to be good. They're not going to be life giving relationships. And the purpose of every believer is to bring the kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. And if I'm not walking with the king, how can I do that in a marriage? How can I do that as a mom? How can I do that when I work? That's, that's the question. Am I facing Jesus as he faces me? Am I in his presence? So as I studied out this obscurity, it brought me to Matthew 6, um, verses 1 through 6 in the message. And it says, be especially careful when you are trying to be good so that you don't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action, I'm sure. Play actors, I call them. Treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage. Acting compassionate as long as someone is watching. Playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all they get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it quietly and unobtrusively. That is the way your God who conceived you in love working behind the scenes helps you out. 
And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for 15 minutes of fame. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be, just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will be able to begin to sense his grace. Mm -hmm. If we take the time and make the choice to become obscure, you know, to be unknown in the world, in the church, in our neighborhood, you, yes, we are to do things for people. Yes. It says right here in the word that when you do something for someone, don't bring attention to it. You just do it out of love for God and love for people. That's kingdom work. So when we, when we take the choice offered to us by God of you either want to be seen by man or you want to be seen by me, somehow in our minds, we think being seen by God is a huge, huge theatrical adventure. And really, I'm going to share a Bible story. And it's going to show you the opposite of that. But that obscurity is needed and necessary for our personal growth, for our personal walk, and more importantly, for God to learn to trust us with his giftings to be enacted, to be focused only to bring glory to him, not to ourselves. And I'm going to share a story. Um, I don't know how many of you know the story of Naaman. Naaman's wife was a maid um, taken in a raid from Israel. And she was very obscure by our standards. But when Naaman came down with leprosy, the maid went to the wife and said, you need to go to Elijah, Elisha. He can heal Naaman. You need to go to Elisha. And so Naaman's leprosy and name, how he was able to cure Naaman's leprosy and Naaman went to the prophet. He went to the prophet. He left his, where he was, he left his location and went to the prophet and a message. Elisha didn't even come out to talk to Naaman. He sent a message and he said, if you will go dip seven times in the Jordan river, you'll be healed. Nathan's first response was offense. He took offense one that Elisha didn't come out and greet him because he was a big deal. And two told him to go dip in the Jordan river In his mind, when he looks at the Jordan river, all he sees is a muddy mess. And in his country, his rivers were beautiful. They were clean. They were blue. They were lovely. And so he was, he was getting ready to leave. And then one of Naaman's servants, not even that maid said to him, sir, if Elijah had asked you to do something very honorable, wouldn't you have done it? And Naaman thought about that. And it, it changed his mindset. So he went and dipped seven times in the Jordan and he was healed. So in this story, we have two very obscure people. We have the maid who gave the information to the wife who gave it to Naaman. And we have the servant who encouraged Naaman to do the right thing. Now, the maid was an Israelite captured. So she knew about God. She knew God. And she knew that Elisha knew God and that God would do what was needed. I know nothing about Naaman's servant except for that God used him. 
Neither one of them were named. They were obscure in the story. So what happens? The maid, the servant are obscure. What's the result? Healing, God moving. So then we have another story about Mary, a teenage girl in the book of Matthew and Luke. She's in Luke too. Obscure, but the mother of Jesus. She was a teenager. She was obscure, but what was the result? The savior was born. And another story, there's JL in the book of Judges. She was a wife. She was at home tending her tent while her husband was out getting ready for battle. And in her obscurity, the commander of the fighting army, the one that they were fighting, Sisera is his name, he was a very, very evil, evil man, but he ran in terror of the Israelite army and he ran up to her and into her tent and asked for help. <laughs> and JL, being the good housewife follower of the Lord that she was, invited him in, gave him some milk, covered him up, and he went to sleep. And then she put his tent stake through his head. She delivered the entire nation of Israel by that one action. She was obscure. If her story had not been put in the Bible, they could have just said there was this woman tending her tent, but no, they gave her a name. So we know her name. She delivered Israel. Then we have Joseph, son number 11 of 12 sons. He was very obscure to the world of his time. His brothers got so sick of him that they decided to sell him into slavery and they put him in a pit and then they sold him and they sold him into a country where he was even more obscure than he was where he was in the first place. And then on top of that, he was thrown into prison, the lowest place you could be. You'd think the pit where his brother's thrown would be low, but I actually believe that the prison where he went was the lowest he could go. And in that deepest obscurity, that teenage boy grew up and because of the way he was trained and raised about the Lord, he still held fast to the things of God, even in his obscurity. And he rose through the ranks of Pharaoh and he rose to be third in charge of the entire nation. And because of his, because of during the time of obscurity, he leaned on God he, he grew more wise and he, he interpreted dreams. He did all sorts of things. And then God said, now I need you to do this. And he learned how to save food in the good times, in the seven years of good times, good harvest, save enough food so that when the seven years of famine came, he could not only um, save Egypt, but he also saved Israel. And he also said, it says in the Bible, he saved other nations because they came to Egypt. So this young boy in obscurity grew in wisdom. Mary in obscurity grew in relationship to Jesus in, in relationship to father God through the angels and Naaman grew Naaman's servants and the maid of his wife grew in obscurity to know when to speak. In each of these instances of obscurity, we see that they were available to God for his purposes in the earth. They sensed his presence enough to give their yes 
to what was needed to help others. Obscurity leads you to knowing the presence of God because you are not involved in the busyness of what is happening around you. I have a dear friend who says busy means being under Satan's yoke. She is right. Isaiah 26, three says he will keep us in perfect peace when our minds are stayed on God. Peace is the outcome of obscurity practiced as a lifestyle. It's easier to practice Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. When your life is lived in obscurity, your knowing enlarges and the lifestyle in the lifestyle of obscurity. Remember, obscurity is a state of being unknown to many. We are never obscure to God. Your spiritual ears become more attuned to the whisper of God. And that led me, when I thought about that, it reminded me of the story of Elijah. He had just defeated the 400 mm-hmm. um, prophets of Baal and, he, and Jezebel threatened him. And so he ran for his life and he ended up under a broomstick tree. No, when he ran, he left his servant at Beersheba. And then he went to a, a broomstick tree and he said, I'm just going to die right here. I'm just going to lay down. I'm going to die. So he laid down and he went to sleep and an angel of the Lord taps him on the shoulder and he says, eat this. So he eats it and he goes back to sleep. I mean, his attitude hadn't changed anything any way whatsoever, even though an angel tapped him on the shoulder. The next time the angel comes, the angel says, you need to eat all of this because you're going to need it. You're going to go someplace. God's calling you someplace. Elijah ate the meal and he got up and he, for 40 days on that one meal, he walked to the mountain of God. So that one meal of God in his obscurity on the broomstick tree infused his body with so much power, energy, and sustenance that he could walk or run. I don't know how he did it for 40 days to reach the location God had called him to. Now, this is what was fascinating to me. He was obscure under a tree. He ate the food. He went for 40 days to where? Where did God call him to? To the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. You know, the other name of Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. Mm. And so God was calling him out in his obscurity to himself to where he met with men of great value, of great usefulness to him. And so then God taught him something else. He said to Elijah, what are you here for? Why are you here? And Elijah started complaining. This is the second time Elijah complained. I'm the only one that's left. Everybody else has died. I have to stand up for Israel and nothing changes. And God, God didn't answer. God walked past. It said mm-hmm. God walked past and there was a huge tornadic wind and the wind broke rock, made rocks fall down off the mountain and God wasn't in the wind. So then came an earthquake And the earthquake did the same thing. It shook the ground. Elijah had to have heard the wind. He had to have heard the, he had to have felt the shaking. And nothing was said to him. And he didn't say anything back. So in his obscurity, he's just observing. He's observing God moving. 
And then there was a fire and the fire ate up all the brush around and it was a huge fire. Elijah still didn't respond and God still didn't speak. Now the wind, the earthquake and the fire are the parts of the presence of God that go before us. They're not, they weren't just lessons. He was showing the diversity of who he is to Elijah. And then there was a still small whisper at that Elijah stood, put his cape on and went to the entrance of the cave. And what did God do? Elijah, what are you here for? And again, I'm the only one that's left. And then what's God do? He doesn't even respond to that. He says, I need you to go do this, this, and this. He anointed a king. He anointed a warrior. And he anointed a prophet. All to do the work of the Lord. If Elijah had not been in that cave, had not been under that tree in obscurity. Yehu couldn't have killed Jezebel. Well, actually the eunuchs killed Jezebel, but Yehu wouldn't have challenged them to do it. And the prophet Elisha would never have fulfilled his call. Obscurity for me may oftentimes assist God in helping another fulfill their call. So I, I just love what obscurity does. And for me, obscurity means not doing all the things everyone else is doing, not going all the places everyone else is going. Um, I'm, I, in the last two years, um, since we've left Nebraska, I have learned that um, it is in the obscure, obscure times with God that I hear the most, the most clearly and that I, I, my revelation of who Jesus is to me is so much broader and so much larger. It's like he's kicking out the walls and making a wide open space for me with him. And, he, and he's saying, please don't block don't box me in. I'm bigger than this. Mm -hmm. And I'm reminded of that a lot. He does say that to me a lot because that's my religious background that says God has to act this way, be this way, talk this way. And it has to look this way. And no, God doesn't have to do anything, you know? So in my obscurity, he is revealing himself to me so that when something happens, I'm not like, that's not God because it could be God. It's just not what I'm used to. And then there's, a, there's many, many other people that I could tell you about, about a obscurity. Um, there would be Father Nash, who was Charles Finney's intercessor during um, huge, huge revivals in the Northeast part of our country. And then um, there were, was the little wise man in Ecclesiastes 9. There's just like two or three verses that says there was a wise man in a small village who saved his village from a great king who built great bulwarks about it by his wisdom. Wisdom comes in obscurity. Wisdom doesn't always come through experience. Sometimes wisdom is imparted to you in your obscure times. This little wise man was never mentioned by name and you never heard about him again. And then we have the Moravians. They prayed 24 hours a day for 100 years. Most people don't even know about the Moravians. It is a wonderful history that we all as um, prayer warriors need to learn that they prayed 24 hours a day for 
hundred years for revival. Mm. Yeah. So I like to say uh, uh, um, obscurity is for devoted lovers of God who want to be pleasing to him first and foremost, who want to bring glory to him, who want to honor him. And in that attitude and in that humbleness, he will be able to use for supernatural things because all the things that I listed today were all supernatural and he used those who were in obscurity. It comes down to choice. We have a choice. We will either be with Jesus, be available to Jesus, live in his presence, which more often than not means a life set apart. And that means being obscure, which is living in the kingdom of God. Or we have the choice of be seen of man, known by man, and let popularity and position be our reward, which is in essence living in the kingdom of this world. You have to be still. You have to turn off the voices. You have to ignore the busyness of the world. You have to sink deeper into prayer and the word and living in his presence. They're all results of choosing obscurity. They're also the way you get to obscurity. Um, you will hear his voice if you choose his way. There is a Psalm 16.8, and I'm going to read it in three different versions. First, the King James. It says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I will not be shaken. The voice says he is ever present with me. At all times he goes before me. I will not live in fear or abandon my calling because he stands on my right hand. The passion says, because I set you, Yahweh, always close to me, my confidence will never be weakened, for I experience your wraparound presence every moment. That's what obscurity creates with you and God, a wraparound presence. When his face turns to you and your face turns to him, you have now are participating in a wraparound presence. Can you repeat again when you said you will hear his voice uh, right before you read the psalm. I really like that statement. You will hear his voice if you choose his way. Yes. That's so good. The ways of God are not, in my words, this is my words, are not American. Absolutely. The ways of God are God. Yeah. Not one country, not one version of the Bible, not one anything knows the ways of God, but God himself. And he wants to teach us those ways. He wants to lead us in those ways. He wants us to hunger after his way. Mm -hmm. The scripture that I, or part of the scripture that I quoted in our prayer, yeah. his ways are not our ways, his yes. thoughts are not our thoughts. That's what's coming to me as you were stating that. Did you come to a close or do you have more? I think I'm at a close. Do you have any questions? Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> I think I want to start with the question that you posed, like almost at the beginning after you shared with us what obscurity means and what presence means mm -hmm. 
and it was in your your own personal sharing uh-huh. when when he when God said to you what are you looking at mm-hmm. and my question for you is in just in your growing in obscurity is what have you learned are hindrances and you actually have listed several I'm not going to mention them because I just want to hear what you share but just for the listeners what are hindrances for us in in not seeing him now of course most people would say facebook social media I don't say that. I say, what are you choosing to see on Facebook, social media? Um, I'm wrestling. It's a God thing in me. And I feel like I'm the only one, except for maybe my husband, is really wrestling with the many, many, many Christian voices. We have so many Christian voices around us that we can be distracted. And we are no longer looking to Jesus, but we are looking to man's personal revelation of Jesus. When, when we hear a preacher preach, when we read a book, when we um, listen to a, a podcast or a video or YouTube or whatever, we are listening to someone's personal revelation to them from Jesus. And they value it so much that they want to share it with others, which is wonderful. I mean, I'm doing that right here, but the point is that cannot replace your walk with Jesus. And it should definitely not have more time value than your time value with Jesus. Or it should not weigh more than the word of God itself. Yes. I have friends who ask me almost every day, did you read so-and-so? And And I said, no. And they're so used to it. Now they'll say, well, we know you didn't read so-and-so. So so here's what he said. (laughs) Because they're not offended or anything that I don't read them. It's just like, I'm not going to go there because I've been there. I have been there. I've been so hungry from God that I would jump from preacher to preacher, to preacher, to book, to book, to book. And pretty soon I'm not in the Bible. I'm not walking with Jesus. I'm walking with them. And that's not what God set up with a fivefold ministry. He did not. It was for the ministry of the body. It wasn't so that we are ministered to all the time or that we are connected to man more than we're connected to Jesus. We have to have our focus on Jesus. Mm-hmm. In Philippians 2, it says that um, Jesus himself let go of his glory and everything that he could have had to humble himself as a servant, meaning he became obscure. Remember Naaman, his servant said to him, his servant Jesus became obscure like a servant. Mm -hmm. That's that, that's my biggest thing right now. Yeah. And I would say that just based off of different things that I've actually heard from certain areas of the American church Uh and also what I'm moving through is I would say that you're, you aren't the only one that are basically is being convicted of following instead of following the one. Right. Um, And I'm glad you went to that depth because that is a go-to 
we just name whatever can be a distraction. And as I've shared in other episodes, he's revealing to me the very distractions within. Yeah. Like I can't just be looking out here to the natural world. It's what are the distractions within me that are hindrances? That's good. What am I paying more attention to in my own thoughts that are hindrances of seeing him? Which connects to what you said earlier about how it's your rec- you've recognized that due to your own background that you have a tendency to put God in the box, mm-hmm. like religion itself. Like we can make all kinds of things a religion. We can, like I've shared multiple times, <laughs> I think I even started in the very first episode that planning out my day can become a religion. Yeah. It, it can totally remove my focus from him and thinking that I can do it all on my own. Um, and then I'm, I'm, I've made that choice then not to reside in his presence and move with him through throughout the day. I've just chosen to go my own way. Right. Right. And people that, people that work, um, would use this as an excuse, but I work in the world and I'm around worldly people all the time. Well, until like four months ago, I worked in the world too. And I recognized because I was learning obscurity over the last two years, I recognized that when we choose to live in obscurity, when we choose to live in that space with God, because really it is living in a space with God, that space goes with you wherever you go. And so that no matter what the world is doing around me, I'm doing my job, I'm honoring my employer. I'm loving my work of my fellow employees. And no matter what's going on, I remain as much as possible because we all slip up. We all slip up. Yeah. I remember one day I got mad about something and I let a cuss word fly and the whole room got silent because they've never knew that I even knew what a cuss word was. (laughs) And I looked at them and I go, I am a real person and I do get frustrated. And I repented, I did repent, but the point was that when we live in that box of obscurity, that space with Jesus, um, it goes with you. It, 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 it's not hiding out at home. It's not huddling with your Bible and your coffee and your, you know, your strong concordance and all those things. It goes with you. It's a space you are to live in face to face with God. I'm really glad that you brought that up because that's, that was the vision that God had given me, not only for me personally in this year, but specifically for this season and sharing is when we accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of our life, we now have the triune residing within us right. and us within the triune, which means the presence is here. Mm-hmm. And that coincides with Jesus's prayer in John 17 that we would be in the world, but not of it. And that That doesn't mean that we don't go about life. Doesn't mean that we're not going to experience things in life, no matter what it may be, but that he is with us all of the time. And we get to be with him all of the time. I think part of the problem with us, um, and I, 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 I'm just speaking as an American Christian, 
part of the, us uh, as American Christians, we tend to believe we have to have all the answers. We tend to believe we are to give all the answers. We tend to believe that um, we, because we're Christian, we're supposed to fix everything. Well, if, if you're not residing in that place with Jesus, if you're not residing face-to-face in his presence, in that space, it really doesn't matter what you say because the anointing and the power that breaks the bondages and the yokes in other people's lives comes out of that space. And that's not why you go to that space. You go to that space because you love him and you want to be with him and you want to get to know him and you want all of his goodness and all of his character traits to become alive in you so that you are the manifest presence of God in the earth, like Jesus was in his day. We are now the manifest presence of God in the earth. Jesus moves and lives and breathes through us to the world. And so we tend to think our knowledge, our book learning, our mind is the be all and end all of everything. And sometimes presence has nothing to do with any of that. Sometimes presence is just being, just being. Mm -hmm. And that coincides with Second Corinthians 5.21, that he made him to be sin so that through him, we would be yeah. able to have the, his righteousness, meaning he imparted his being with, within us. And now we get to be with him. Yes. Yes. Um, and really, it's all about um, growing in his likeness growing yeah. in his character which is the very being of who we who he is being like you said is being manifested through us it, that brought us guy uh, my husband has a saying and he, he used it today about something and i'm thinking i would never have used this scripture for that situation but really it does pertain that god is perfecting everything that concerns me Mm -hmm. and when I'm in that presence that opens me up for him to say okay here's something that needs fixed here's something that's improving good job here's something have you even looked at this he is perfecting or maturing me and and he's perfecting everything that concerns me which means finances which means children which means you know household things it means job and whatever concerns me he is perfecting, but we'll never understand that until we live with him 24 seven in yeah. his presence. Right. We won't be able to really see it either. No, because we won't, unless we're looking at him, we won't be able to see it. Right. Right. And that goes with, I love how, and I'm sure you, you probably, you did break this down. And I was capturing it before you really broke it down for us. But in the three, in the three main stories, the Naaman, the Mary and Joseph Uh talked about how obscurity provides this growth in knowing growth in relationship and growth in wisdom. And I don't know if you intentionally did this, but I'm seeing like an order in a sense of the first thing that must occur is our growing in knowing him. Yes. 
That is which personal. then lends to growing in our relationship with him, which then automatically imparts the growth in wisdom. Yeah. I'm sure you did that on purpose, right? No, I didn't do that on purpose, but that's how, that's how it works in my life. Yes. And that was really, I just loved how that all came together because that's really good. And that, that's something that he keeps bringing to mind. You know how you just said he's not only perfecting me, mm -hmm. but he's perfect, perfecting everything that concerns me. Yep. Holy cow. What did it, where did it go? Oh, unless I am looking at him, I'm not going to even be able to know what must be perfected. <laughs> and I find it so interesting that he actually invites us to be a part of that. Even though there is nothing in the world we can do to fix it, yep. he invites us to look at it with him. And he invites us to be to work with him in it, even though it's all in his strength, all in his, it's all him anyway. He wants us to be a part of it because what he's always referring to me in, in different situations, he's asking me specifically like in areas where I recognize, well, I'll just give an example. On Saturday, um, we had a plan. Well, we had a plan that we would be leaving from such a time to such a time. Well, unbeknownst to me, I must automatically attach myself to time. And if things are not occurring within the time that I must have attached myself to, I get frustrated. And so after I notice the frustration come up and I, that's automatically a red flag for me, then I hear him say, where are you? Yeah. And then it was, it was almost like an about face <laughs> when you hear him about face. And then it was, now, do you see how you, you didn't cognitively think this, but now you will know <laughs> that you have an issue with time and you don't trust me with time. Like you don't, you don't know me here yeah. and I want you, I want us to know each other here. So those are some of the little thoughts that came up for me. That's excellent. And I, I love your phrase. You will hear his voice if you choose his way. Yep. You have to know the one who you can hear. You have to know him to be. You know, the Bible him. says we are the sheep of his pasture and we know our shepherd's voice. Well, sheep don't do anything but hang with the shepherd. Yep. They go where he takes them. They eat the food he provides. They drink the water from the river or pond or lake or whatever he provides. And when he says it's time to move, they move. When he says it's time to stay, they stay. That's why they know it because they live with him 24 seven. Mm -hmm. And the other cool thing, like I think of it even the other way. And it always just touches me because it's the shepherd's choice to be with the sheep. Yes. So we serve a Lord who is the true shepherd, who is choosing, made the way for him to be with us. Yes. Like yes. He, he wants to be. Thank you. It's his Jesus. desire to be. So, so good. 
And I love the analogy of his face toward us presence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to keep, I'm going to, I'm going to have that visual now. <laughs> That's going to be very helpful. Any other gems of wisdom that you have to share that to close? I think about um, something that happened to um, Guy, my husband, within the last month and a half. Um, he was being very quiet. We, we sit, we're in a very small apartment and we have this deck and we've put out a bird feeder and we get all kinds of birds and we just love to sit and watch them. They now pick on each other who gets to be in the bird, who gets to eat the food first. And, and you, you're starting to see personalities in these birds. And he was looking out and he heard a still small voice and he said something and uh, it was the Lord. And he said, he turned his face and he, to the corner where the voice came from and he recognized it was the Lord. And then, and I think he was praying over our nation was it. And he said, Oh Lord, help us. I think that's what he said. And the response was, I am. And the Lord started to walk by and he said, I wasn't even really paying attention. And the Lord responded with another sentence, which I'm not going to share. But as the Lord left, Guy had thought to himself, if I had not been quiet, if I had been thinking about anything else, I would have never seen or heard him. Because he talks to us all the time. And because we're so busy and we're so occupied in our minds with things that really aren't important, mm -hmm. not to the kingdom, mm -hmm. we miss so many conversations he wants to have with us. And I loved how his mind worked in the sense of if I had not been quiet, I would have missed it. And it wasn't the message. It was that he was there and that he was speaking to him. That's what got him. And I thought, you know how much we miss that in our all. And he wants to do that with every single one of us. And it doesn't matter if you're first saved, if you're old saved, yeah. if you're middle saved, it does not matter. He wants to do that with all of us. Yeah, that ties in with what he was actually giving to me to close, which is um, like in closing, I would. I would challenge all of us. Do you hear him? Yeah. Yeah. Because he is beckoning us. Yep. Don't be like Adam and Eve. When he wandered through the garden and said, where are you? Where are you? And they didn't respond and they didn't respond. And finally he saw them. He knew where they were the whole time time but he was waiting for their face back to him they, he wanted them to turn and face back to his face he knew what had happened he knew they were naked he knew they had sinned but that wasn't his point his point was he wanted to be with them yes and they refused to respond don't be like adam and eve right he's beckoning as you said he is beckoning he is beckoning all the time. And a great, I mean, I've asked this question before. He will always ask us where we are, just as he did with Adam and Eve. Yes. And he's waiting. 
or he'll say, what are you doing here? Like he said to Elijah, it's the same question, just phrased differently. What are you doing here? And then you have to look and ask yourself, what am I doing, physically doing, mentally doing that I'm not here with God? Mm -hmm. I'm here with whatever I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. Obscurity teaches us to be with the presence. Amen. Well, thank you so much. This was awesome. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for walking with me this week. My prayer is that you've seen Jesus even more clear, recognized the immensity of God's presence, and discovered an even deeper abundance of life, knowing whose you are. My encouragement to you is this. Know God's presence envelops you. His purposes are for His glory, your good, and that entails a life of abundance. Blessings in the truth and grace of Jesus Christ.